Hey everybody, vocalist Veronica Swift here, and you're listening to Life Minute TV. 29-year-old Veronica Swift was destined for greatness. She's the daughter of jazz singer Stephanie Nicasian and late bebop piano great Hode O'Brien. At just nine years old, she recorded her first album, Veronica's House of Jazz, and began touring with her parents. At age 11, she appeared in the Jazz at Lincoln Center series, Women in Jazz. Now an international vocalist, Swift just dropped her third self-titled album, which includes both originals and covers, spanning everything from bebop, swing, and funk to rock and jazz, paying homage to her favorite greats from Duke Ellington, Janis Joplin, Billie Holiday, and Beethoven to Queen and Nine Inch Nails. The truly eclectic singer who's been knighted by the country of France stopped by the Life Minute studios recently to tell us all about her new album, her unique sound, and how she keeps her most valued instrument, her voice, pitch perfect. This is a Life Minute with one to watch, Veronica Swift. Swift in the house. Hey, Hello. what's up? Thanks <laughs> never, for joining us. Never been here before. This is new for me. Thanks for having me in this Aww. new wonderful place. So what's new with you? Tell us everything. I've been known to the world as just one thing. And finally, you know, post-COVID world, I get to, I mean, just like anybody else can hope to be, is be their fullest self on and off the stage. And so I finally have uh, released an album that represents the full spectrum of my musical personality and my journey and in hopes to inspire people to do the same. How would you describe your sound? Well, there's, a, of course, the first thing people think about is vocal sound. And because I have a very broad, dynamic palette to choose from, kind of like an artist's palette, you know, the more colors for me, the better. And so I've spent 20 years of my career not only developing my craft in the jazz world, you know, like kind of, you can hear I have a smokier voice, but I also have a very strong, powerful rock and roll sound that I have been working on for like 20 years. That's been my passion. And uh, I also studied opera as well. So people who listen to my music, it's not different hats per se. It's the same hat worn differently. You know how you can sometimes wear a baseball hat and then you turn it around and it looks different, but it's the same hat. And that's the thing, you know. Did you always know you wanted to be a musician when you were younger? I grew up in a family of musicians. So just like people when they grow up speaking languages, you know, it's not something you really, I'm gonna decide to speak English. You spoke growing before you even had cognitive thought and memory. You're copying the sounds of what you hear around you, right? Da, da, ma, ma. And then you develop the language understanding. That was how it was musically for me with jazz music, especially my mother and father. Both took me on the road with them uh, while they were performing. My father was a great piano player, bebop, and my mom, bebop singer, Stephanie Cassian is her name. And my father was Hot O'Brien. So I grew up in jazz clubs and you know those little kids at festivals that are always running around getting their face painted and you're like, who's watching them? I was the kid like that, that was me at jazz clubs. I was the kid sitting at the bar with the coloring book and a Shirley Temple, <laughs> sleeping in green rooms, just absorbing all this great music. So it just made sense that the next step would be to perform with my parents at nine years old. And then a career started and kind of a whole life began to unfold. And how did you hone your your skills like did you have lessons or anything like that or I mean osmosis really it's where it all starts like I mentioned you copy the sounds you hear and that also translates to vocal stylings of my mother who is a brilliant singer in her own right also a brilliant performer and communicator and so just kind of copying through osmosis in a way I mean I did take vocal lessons to and choirs were very important as a young child before you take voice lessons because your voice isn't developed enough private lessons usually around 15 or 16 but before that singing in choirs and playing instruments that's where 
the really crucial elements of, of education come into play for developing your sound and your style and knowing what it sounds like and feels like to blend with singers around you, knowing how to read music so you can eventually arrange your own songs. I owe it all to my band director in middle school and high school. What instruments do you play? So I played, actually my first instrument was piano, but my horn instrument, I play the trumpet as well. And I was playing piano and trumpet before I ever like started singing professionally, seriously. I was playing trumpet in a youth jazz band called the Young Rascals Jazz Project at nine years old. And of course, then I started to kind of sing a few songs here and there with them. That's how it all started professionally for me. I read something just yesterday that like most people don't ask about the voice. I find that I do, but how do you take like care it. of yours? Well, warming up is crucial, but cooling down is, if not equally, if not more important than the warm up. Especially after like a show, the show that I used to do was just I was just singing, you know, jazz and in a trio setting. But now our show has developed to I call it a transgenre experience. We start with the jazz stuff because that's what people know me as, right? And then we introduce a new element with each song, and then before you know it, it's a full-on rock and roll show. And the important thing is to keep the voice healthy. So I practice a technique called open throat singing. It's exactly how it sounds. I mean, you kind of have to keep the back of the throat open, kind of like a caveman noise. If I'm gonna do it, it's gonna sound weird. You hear how I'm almost like yawning. And the vocal cords get used to this openness. A lot of straining comes from the closing of the throat. And people think, if I just push the notes out, you know, and that's the absolute wrong way to go about singing rock and roll. I mean, it's harder in the beginning because a lot of air escapes, right? And it's like building your muscles at the gym. So you practice through this open throat singing and then you get power that you never knew you had and it's healthier. And then the cool down, you know, definitely want to do it after you talk to people a little bit, just very brief, you know, shaking hands, saying hello to the fans. And then afterwards, I always blow uh, bubbles through a straw into like a glass of water or something, which is just relaxing. Hmm. Some of that kind of stuff, you know, just like a gentle massage, but the cool down is crucial. Who are some of your favorite singers? I mean, I could list, there's the jazz singers I love, uh, Mildred Bailey and Ethel Waters and Anita O'Day, Sarah Vaughn and Billie Holiday, but then there's the rock and rollers who also inspire me, Janeth and Steven and Freddie and Tina Turner and Robert Plant. I mean, and then of course, Maria Callas and the opera singers I love. And I try to create a world where I can combine all these heroes of mine in one place and pay homage to them while also showing that they're all equally a part of my sound. What's something else that you want to do? Like, what's what do you see next happening? I've spent uh, 20 years of my career singing other people's music, secretly writing my own, not just music, but musicals as well and screenplays. And one of my heroes in this regard is David Bowie because he was a multimedia artist that he was directing, he was doing dance and movement and photography and art. And this is something I aspire to do eventually to direct a film, whether it's uh, with me in it or not, to uh, write a musical one day. I have a 1920s musical I'm working on that I hope to release down the road but it all starts with hopefully a project coming that will get to showcase my skills as a composer and lyricist. How does it work for you creatively like what's your process like do you write words first or sound or? It's different every song sometimes I have a style in mind but the best songs come seemingly out of nowhere but really it's like the subconscious having absorbed all of these influences that I've mentioned and even some influences that I'm not cognitively, cognitively aware of that just make their way through. It's like the best time to memorize a song or study for a test is when you're like cleaning your house or doing something that's mindless activity. 
sometimes like this, uh, the song, on, for example, on this record, I Am What I Am, which utilizes my like writing of a fugue-like piece in the middle of the song, where I sing with the piano and the bass, and we do like a Bach Baroque fugue thing. That came while I was just literally cleaning my house. And I started improvising some fugue-like, just because I've spent so many of my young years singing Baroque fugues and preludes and playing them and honing that part of my craft. You start to learn it because of the language you know, you develop. Then you can improvise on it. So like, you just kind of mindless activity, you know, and, and then you go, oh wait, I got to record this. It's stream of consciousness writing. That's where the best stuff comes from. And then later on you can, you know, refine it and whatever, but. When that happens, what do you do? You just like put down the vacuum yes, and run? Yes, exactly. Or, or, or even better, continue to vacuum, just push, push record on the phone and the voice memos. <laughs> yeah, and the phone, yeah. right? You can do everything with that. Yeah. You have a cool sense of style, too. How would you <laughs> I can't describe help myself. it? I had an interesting question I was asked uh, not too long ago where someone asked, does the fashion reflect the music or vice versa? And fashion has always been important to me. I've never been comfortable going out in jeans and a t-shirt, not to school. I dress like Lady Gaga all the time and Frankenfurter and all these crazy kooky characters. And just like with developing your craft, you refine your fashion and it's an important part of who you are. Live, I perform in kind of like military parade costume because I actually am knighted in uh, France. And so I see that myself and my band as we are important kind of protectors of self-expression and individuality, not just for artists, for everybody. Because it's so hard, if you think about it, it's so hard to just be yourself sometimes. And that's something I try to inspire in every show. And that's why the fashion is reflect that reflects the musical and creative mission of ours. Yeah, Knighted in France, tell us about that. <laughs> Are you um, French? <laughs> I'm not French, but it's, it's not like in Great Britain where you, ha you have to be British, right? But in France, it's a global inclusivity, kind of globally. The Minister of Arts and Culture works directly with a friend of mine, Francois, who runs the L'Académie de Jazz, which is responsible for bringing artists from all over the world to the French people. And I've been going to France a long time just because I have friends there. It's kind of like how New York City is the heart of jazz in the world, in the United States. Like It's one of the jazz centers. Paris is kind of the heart of jazz city in the um, world in Europe so I would go all the time sing on the scene meet people and it just I developed a beautiful community out there and then I performed there in 2019 I think but right before everything happened the dark ages so I'm glad I get to go back and finally get the official ceremony to take place Natalie Dessay also I'm a huge 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 fan she's an opera singer and friend and so just kind of grown a beautiful community of friends out there and, and artists and I'm just I kind of feel like I'm a part of their culture just by you know our our countries share a bond of revolution yeah. you know yeah. taking what's ours and standing up to fr freedom against oppression and freedom against conformity and insert word here but yeah I'm all the things I talk about the French co uh, community really reacts to my mission in life tell us about your shows like what do fans get when they see you live we have a huge like there's really not like a demographic of art that was like a goal of mine as a young child I didn't want like a specific demographic I didn't want just jazz fans I didn't want just rock fans I wanted Veronica Swift fans you know create a my own community and I think any artist would hope to have that kind of fan base we start with the show we start with jazz as I mentioned just because that we established the past and roots like I think of my show as a tree and first we established the roots and then out from the roots has sprung this strong trunk which is the transgenre approach, which is when we take songs from hundreds of years of music history and we relate them to each other and connect through lines through these different genres and then create something, a cohesion 
out of it. And that for me, that transgenre concept is kind of the base, the trunk of the tree. And all and then later we have all the branches and the leaves that beautifully spring out that create beautiful like shapes and colors. And that's what I consider my original music because that springs from all that, that knowledge and that lineage. And my original music is also, it could be a branch over here that's jazz or 20s musical, or it could be a branch over here that's just classic glam 70s rock. And it's all connected because of the roots. And your parents, are they still, do they play with you at all anymore? Well, my dad, he was, I mean, he was playing in New York in the late 50s. He was born in 1936, so he's not with us anymore. I had an older dad. My mom, of course, she's a incredible vocal educator. I mean, a lot of my, you know, technique I got from her. And she is uh, teaching at UVA and then uh, also performing on her own, a great artist in her own right. So she's still, sometimes we sing together and do a kind of apple and tree Speaking of trees, that seems to be a common theme here. (laughs) Anything else you want to tell us that we didn't cover? Yeah, things have been, for some people, they've been quick to come back after, you know, bounce back after COVID. But since I was still on the come up before COVID, I had to kind of not start from scratch in a way, but because I've been rebranding, as you can see, (laughs) have all these different looks and trying to make something cohesive out of it that made sense to my fan base from before while also still meeting new people and creating a new fan base. I had to kind of rethink my show. And COVID, while it was a horrible time, it allowed me to take a step back and restructure everything and make it all make sense. And so now I'm finally back on the road again (laughs) after not just two years, it's like four years. Because I had to spend a couple years convincing people that, oh, this show is jazz. It's not subtraction. It's addition. It's everything. And believe it or not, that was hard. It's a hard sell for some venues, right? They want what they know. But now we finally have the tour ready. It's going to be a Midwest run in, in the fall. We're hitting um, Chicago, Cleveland. We hit Detroit, Minneapolis, Indianapolis. And then we do some West Coast dates, SF Jazz and Malibu. And uh, then we go to Auburn and Charlotte. And then I head over to Europe. After four years, I'm going to be doing Ronnie Scott's in London, Duke de Lombard in Paris, where the ceremony will take place, singing with the Danish radio big band. It's amazing. I get to perform at all these different kinds of venues. It's the beautiful thing about this show is you can perform at a rock club for people standing with beers in their hands and screaming. Or you can perform at a performing arts center with a more kind of like elegant audience. And that's what I love about this show. That's very cool. Good for you. What's something you always take with you when you travel? Lucy, my dog. Yeah, you would think because of all this crazy clothes I wear that I would have like the the world's biggest suutcase. Honestly, I only have room for my performance outfit, singular, because there's only one. you don't change 50 times like Cher. I I don't have the space. All my suitcases, it's merch, it's gear, and I have percussion instruments and pedals, and you know, the merch is just its, its own box alone. I mean, it's like, it's so much. And I also have jackets for the band, and it's, I only get to bring like one outfit for sleeping, exercise, and casual, and then my one performance outfit. So I always make sure I have everything. If, if it was going to be the end of the world, God forbid, tomorrow, that I would have all the stuff I need to do one last show. And what do you do when you're not working? <laughs> when I'm not working? I'm always working, baby. My musical life doesn't stop when I walk off a stage. I had a funny, someone asked me, what do you do for fun? What are your hobbies? Like, and I couldn't think of a single <laughs> thing. It's my life. I I live and breathe what I do. And that's not for everyone. I totally get that. I mean, and all the things that I do for fun relate back to the art. I had to sit and think, and I was like, that's ridiculous. But then I thought, is it really so ridiculous? And I thought of my heroes, and so many of them were the same way. So I wouldn't change it for a second. But it's, it's fun for me. You know, I have to definitely distinguish between time for business so that that doesn't interfere with my enjoyment. You have to remember why you got into this in the first place. Because you love 
to sing. You love to draw. You love what you do. And that, if you lose that, there's no point. Agree. Yeah. Biggest life tip, since this is life minute. Life minute. Biggest life tip. I mean, what I just said, I guess. Love what you do. There's really no big secret to life. And what do I know? I'm 29, but 20 years is a long time when you're 29. <laughs> like two-thirds of your life. And the answer to everything has just been gratitude for me. It's easy to get wrapped up in where I'm going, what I have to do, and I need to make sure people get me. No, you don't. As long as you do it for yourself in a non-selfish way, but love what you do and sing or whatever it is you do out there. Do it for yourself. Only then can you share that with people so that they can enjoy it too and inspire them to do the same. A little bit scat. How about that? You did a little bit before. Oh, yeah, yeah. Before. I guess, you know, we can talk so much about how to connect genres and all this, but really the best way is to show you by example. Like I mentioned when I was a kid, I'd be playing Bach and a few in preludes, and I would try to like break down every part to the point of learning the language and developing my own understanding of Baroque music. And then I would start to connect the bebop genre to Baroque and say, you know, these are very like similar. They're kind of, it's like bebop was like an extension for hundreds of years, an extension of Baroque music. So when you think about Baroque music, right? Right? Then you uh, swing it. Right? That's just the same kind of thing, but swung. Add some, like, you know, blues and bebop language in there. You see how like the elements are passed through and there's an example of what transgenre is. It's paying homage to both Bach in Baroque music and bebop while making something kind of your own thing out of it, your own language. Amazing. <laughs> it's that like, was awesome. Well, I mean, I, it took years to develop, right? It's like learning a language. You can't just straight out the gate, okay, I, I read everything there is to know about Italian, now I can speak it. No, when you practice in conversation, and that's music, it's like a language, it's conversing. You can't really learn music unless you're playing with people, all kinds of people, you know, playing with different bands, they bring you different challenges. Like, think of it, like, notes are like words. A word by itself has meaning, but not really, and it can completely change meaning depending on the context. Yeah. When you place a note in a musical phrase, with rhythm, harmony, melody, or lyrics even, then you have conversation, you have a story. To see more of this interview, visit our website, lifeminute.tv. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, Life Minute TV.